I'm a huge believer in transition rituals, and they can be tiny transition rituals that can help us shift our mind between home and work and work and home. And, you know, right now we're living in a world of work-life mush where everything just sort of bleeds together. But we can still create some mental pauses and mental boundaries for ourselves. A very warm welcome back to the Leaders with Babies podcast. I am Ferina Hefti. I'm the CEO and founder of our social enterprise, Leaders Plus. With this podcast and our award-winning Leaders Plus Fellowship program, I want to give you access to inspiration and practical support to continue to progress your career whilst enjoying your young children. If you want to join a supportive community, then you can take the first step to do so by going to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship and see if you want to apply to the fellowship program applications are closing on the 15th of october so for this round you'd have to be quick as part of that you will get a senior leader mentor access to thought leadership about what works for parents and careers and most importantly space to think in a structured environment but with really supportive peers from all industries and sectors so today's conversation is with someone extremely interesting it is with laurie Mahalik Levin. She is the founder of Mindful Return and also a partner at a law firm. She's an incredibly interesting person and yeah, it's fascinating how she brings together such completely different world worlds like being an entrepreneur and running and um, being partner in a law firm. So she and I, we talk quite honestly about how to integrate mindfulness in your day-to-day life, which I really i have to say from a practical perspective i don't think it was straightforward for me but her practical tips of making work really resonated with me and she is such a thought leader when it comes to returning to work effectively and dealing with those important transitions my child just started primary school in september and it's an equally important transition that i think affects you in quite unique ways and laurie has a lot of insights about how to support yourself through these moments. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Very warm welcome, Laurie, to the podcast. Really nice to have you with us today. Why don't you start with introducing yourself, your family and what you do for work? Thank you, Verena. It's a real honor and pleasure to be here with you. I am a mom to two wonderful redheaded boys. I live in Washington, D.C. My boys are seven and nine years old and they're doing that whole 100% remote school right now, which is its own set of challenges. And in my professional life, I split my work week between two roles. On the one hand, I am a lawyer and I'm a partner at a law firm called Denton's where I practice Medicare regulatory law. And in the other half of my professional work week, I run a program called Mindful Return that started off helping new parents transition back to work after parental leave in a much more calm and empowered way. And during COVID has also taken on a role of just supporting working parents, generally speaking. Fantastic. And I love the whole mindful return title. But now you've just listed everything that you do right now. It made me feel daunted just listening to it. I presume there's no secret, but I mean, how do you do practically? How do you, as a partner, you're really busy, I'm sure, and very client-focused. And then you do this as well. Practically, what do you do to make it work? I put one foot in front of the other. 
<laughs> I take breaks to make myself more efficient. I do sleep seven hours a night and I have a wonderful partner in life who is my husband, who is a very active and engaged co-parent to our children and, you know, inhabitant of our household who contributes just as much as I. I don't think that there's a secret sauce, but I do have to say that the one side of my professional life feeds the other side of my professional life. So I love the analytical thinking and all that that comes with the legal role, but I get nourished in a totally different way through the creativity and the blogging and the mentoring that comes from running my own company. And so in some ways, I'm happier as a lawyer because I have this other thing. And I'm happier as a business owner because I also have the legal piece. And so every day is a dance. I also eliminated the word busy very consciously from my vocabulary a number of years ago. So I don't describe my life as busy. I describe it as full and I just really take one day at a time and practice a lot of time management strategies. Mm-hmm. And how does a partner in a law firm come up with the idea of dedicating part of her life to Mindful Return? Yeah. So at the time I founded Mindful Return, I actually wasn't at my current firm. Um, I had been a lawyer at a law firm and then I left to go in-house to a policy role at a healthcare trade association in the United States in Washington, D.C. And it was really my own experience returning to work after parental leave that drove me to become passionate about these ideas. So I had baby number one and I went back to work full time and I found it incredibly challenging. And then two years later, I had baby number two and returned to work full time And my husband and I like to say that in our household anyway, one plus one felt like 85, (laughs) like something was happening and we were never sleeping. And I was in a really sort of dark place. Mom after mom would come into my office, shut the door, sometimes burst into tears and say like, this is so hard. And I don't understand why this, you know, nobody told me that coming back to work was going to be quite this challenging. And one of my, I guess my superpower is that I'm an activator. When, you know, under the uh, Clifton Strengths Finder, you can sort of find out, you know, what are your top talents, right? For me, when there's a problem, I can't just sit there and look at it. I have to do something about it. So basically, I founded a parent group at my office first just to connect all the working parents and find a way for us to be able to support one another, commiserate with one another. And then I realized that the problem of, navigating the identity shift after you have a baby was a much bigger problem than, you know, just my office and was a more global issue. At the time, and sort of what led me down the mindfulness path was that I personally was struggling with what was probably undiagnosed postpartum anxiety myself. And somehow magically, miraculously, I found online this wonderful website called AbundantMama.com And I joined this cohort of 100 moms from all over the globe, and I took a course, this Abundant Mama course, where the focus was really on finding the abundance in life instead of the overwhelm. And one of the things I took away from that group was, first of all, like, wow, we're all totally in this together. Nobody can get all the Cheerios off the floor in the morning and get out the door properly. And the second thing that I took away from that cohort was the value of a gratitude practice and the value of slowing down and savoring specific moments of our day to help combat the overwhelm. And so that's sort of what got me on the mindfulness kick. I said to my husband, like, oh my gosh, there should exist a course like the Abundant Mama course, but for brand new parents who are going back to work, who need help with this transition and they want the support of one another and they want to talk to each other and connect. And my husband 
being an entrepreneur and he's a career coach, he looked at me and he said, well, what are you going to do about it? And so that sort of was the impetus for Mindful Return. Mm-hmm. And I'm really interested. So you said you were in a dark place at the time and it sounds like you did some really practical things, you know, the gratitude journal. I think that if I remember it right, it's basically writing down things that you're grateful. I'm sure it's more complicated, but it's writing down things you're grateful for. Oh, there's no rocket science. Yes. It's literally at the end of the day, before you go to bed, writing down three to five things that you're grateful for that, you know, happened that went well that day, just Mm -hmm. reflecting on some of the good in your life. Yeah. Obviously, there are many, many different forms of postpartum mental health issues, some diagnosed, some undiagnosed, and I wouldn't want to generalize, but I think it's really tough in that dark place to have energy to take action to improve things. So just, and to be honest, I mean, maybe this is me. So I used to do some mindfulness sometimes with the app and now I've kind of stopped because I just didn't want another thing on my to-do list. And I'm just interested in how you manage to get the energy and the drive to include those practices in your day-to-day. Yeah. So the only way that I managed to, I'll say, almost sneak them in when I was, you know, a brand new parent was to really focus on micro mindfulness, the things that are teeny and tiny in your day. And so I'll give you an example. After I had my second baby and I was, you know, reading advice on how to feel better about one's day, someone had suggested setting an intention for your day. And I said, that's an awesome idea. Of course, I'll try it. And then by three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock PM every day, I'd be like, oh, I forgot to set an intention for my day. So I came up with an acronym is, which is ISS, that I use to remind myself. And I multitask my shower every morning. And during my shower, I think of this acronym. I've done this for probably five or six years now where the I in the acronym stands for set an intention. Intention is the I. And the intention might be go to bed at nine o'clock tonight because you are exhausted, lady. Or today the intention was like, believe in yourself today. Like, you know, there's no reason that you can't do the things that you've set out to do on your calendar. The intention might be you are enough. The intention might be get that one project done that is totally looming over you because you've had enough mental swirl around it. But whatever it is, set an intention. And then the first S in my ISS acronym is stretch. So I, you know, use the shower to do a couple of calming, relaxing yoga poses. And then the second S was savor. Really just like savoring the fact that I was alone in the shower and there was no small person hanging off of me. And, you know, like I had five minutes of hot water uninterrupted. During COVID, I have doubled down on that practice in the shower too, just like sort of reflecting on the fact that no one's bombing our house. I have hot water. There's toilet paper. There's food on our table. And, you know, it sort of like shifts my mind first thing in the morning. So I try to think of things that are tiny. Another example I think is um, I'm a huge believer in transition rituals, and they can be tiny transition rituals that can help us shift our mind between home and work and work and home. And, you know, right now we're living in a world of work-life mush where everything just sort of bleeds together. But we can still create some mental pauses and mental boundaries for ourselves. So for example, huge believer in transition rituals. I used to have a commute that, you know, I went to the office and I would ride the metro downtown and then I would walk for a couple blocks and I would pause and pull out 
I would stop off at a park bench or a hotel lobby and spend five minutes pulling out Insight Timer, you know, a wonderful meditation app that I used daily. And now, of course, I don't have that commute. But now in this COVID world, some of the transition rituals that I use are when I get up, I do turn on Insight Timer and do some yoga with it before my kids get up. But then teeny tiny micro things like to signal to my brain that I'm about to start working I raise the blinds and I make my bed because my bedroom's connected to the office. And to the extent you can form rituals that tell your brain, okay, we're going to make a transition here, or I'm going to take a deep centering breath before I start like plodding into my email inbox. You know, how can you build those in, in teeny tiny ways that are going to help you breathe, help you relax your nervous system and don't take much time? Mm, I think that is just an absolute nugget of brilliance to keep it to as small as possible. Like not even say you should be doing 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation a day at all, but just keeping it to these very tiny things. And what you said there just reminded me of the tiny habits book. I can't remember the author now, but yeah, I can see you nodding. So, but the idea that you have really small habits, but you connect them to an existing thing, like you have you don't have to go to the shower, but you may <laughs> regularly go to the shower at some point in the week. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And, and just you link it. And also with the transition that you link it, I think it's uh, really, really brilliant. Okay, I like it. I might, yeah, I think it motivates me to do things like that again. So tell me then, did it actually, I presume it wasn't a magic bullet, but how did your change from feeling rubbish? I'm sure, it, you know, it wasn't perfect, but how did that change happen? You know, I think it really was the process of taking this course that I took, starting a daily practice, like building in rituals that helped me to start feeling a tiny bit better. Mm -hmm. And I think over a couple of months, those rituals started making a difference. My baby started sleeping more. I sought out my own mental help, you know, found a therapist who I like working with. I think all of those things sort of added up to help me turn a corner and feel better. I really can't say enough about how far off the plot sleep deprivation can take us. <laughs> I mean, that entire year of my life for the first year that I, each of my children was alive, I was severely sleep deprived. And, you know, I considered a three hour stretch of sleep to be basically my minimum threshold for any type of sanity. And looking back, that sounds a little ridiculous, but that was what I was living on. And I think that fact alone caused me to have a lot of emotional struggle and really affected the mood of our whole household. And so, you know, once everyone can get into better sleep patterns, I think it really does automatically improve your mental health significantly. That mm. is so true. It is used as a torture instrument. We must not forget that. I mean, it's amazing. I don't think I would have ever thought I could function on five hours of sleep. And now five hours of sleep, even though I have older kids now, yeah, it's five hours of sleep. It's absolutely doable. Not, not a problem. <laughs> yeah, interesting. And actually, we talked around mindful return, but we haven't actually said what it is. Do you want to just explain to listener what it actually is? Sure. So mindful return is a four-week online cohort-based program for new parents to help them transition into the new identity of working parent. Basically, it's a four-week online course and you're in it with 
people who are all over the place, all different industries and sectors and professions all over the globe, who are all navigating that return to work at the exact same time that you are. And there's a version for new moms and there's a version for new dads. And we also have a version for parents of special needs children because their situations are different. And so really, it's a supportive community. It happens, the course runs every other month. And there are currently 68 employers that offer it as a parental leave benefit to help their employees navigate the transition and feel empowered to be able to come back to work after they have their baby. Great. And it's focused very much on mindfulness and dealing with your own emotions and the challenges that you're going through. Is that Right. Yeah, so there are four themes. It's a four-week course, and each week has a different theme to it. The first week is all about a mindful mindset for return, and that's really all of the mindfulness techniques and ideas. And the second week is all about the logistics of return. I mean, there's so much by way of navigating flexibility and childcare situations and pumping and all that sort of stuff. And the third week is all about leadership in the space of return and viewing yourself as a leader when you return to the workplace as a working parent leader. And then the fourth week is all about building and staying in community to support yourself through this time so that you don't wind up on the kitchen floor crying like I did way too many times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds absolutely fascinating. And you obviously have, your children are now a primary school, technically, although you're homeschooling them at the moment. Some of the things that you've taken from your early mindfulness practice, do they still shape how you're dealing with this extreme situation we're in now with COVID, with homeschooling and doing all the other things? Absolutely. I mean, I think they're probably even more important now and I'm, you know, going back to them way more often and making sure that they are daily rituals in my day in a way that maybe I didn't need as much pre-COVID, definitely. We've modified the Mindful Return course to be more COVID-specific, to really reference the situations that are happening right now. But I use the skills all the time. The other thing I'd say is that returning to work after parental leave is one of many major life transitions. And last year, our family moved across town, like half a mile pretty much. And I found that the move was one of those transitions that I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in chaos and I don't know what's happening. And it felt very much like the chaos that happens after a new baby arrives. And so I really came back to those four themes of mindfulness, logistics, leadership, and community. And during the move, really tried to focus on those four things and find ways that I could support myself around those four areas. So I almost feel like those four themes are applicable in any major life crisis situation. Mm -hmm. Mm, yeah, that is probably true. And apparently moving house is the second most stressful thing I read somewhere after having a bereavement. So Yes, <laughs> like it's right up there with well, root canals, death, taxes, and moving. Yes, I, I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just looking back now, at, you know, those transition moments, both returning to work and potentially also your children starting school, was there anything that you would have known, you would have loved to have known at the time that you know now? Mm. I think one of the things that I worried about a lot early on was, this may sound silly, but how early the kids went to bed and I felt all of that guilt around, oh my gosh, well, now that I'm back at work, I just don't see them anymore. And I think had I known that in a very short moment, relatively speaking, they were going to be up much later and we were going to have a lot more time together. I might have let go of some of that early mom guilt. I never would have known that it was possible to 
thread the needle between a legal partner job and running a business. I was a risk-averse lawyer who never, ever, ever imagined starting her own company back, you know, back when I did so. And so I think if I had to look back and say, well, I never would have known that it was possible to have that passion project that grows into something bigger and have a legal practice at the same time, I probably would have told myself, just calm down and do the thing that's making you happy rather than worrying about how it was all going to end up. Mm -hmm. That's very wise reflection. I had a bit of a browse of your blog. And I have to say, I got carried away by looking at the blog post. Actually, can you, I can't remember the um, URL. Do you want to just tell people what it is? Sure. It's www.mindfulreturn.com forward slash blog. B-L-O-G. <laughs> okay. So you wrote, it's quite interesting. Something that's been on my mind a lot is, is performance reviews, generally performance or as we call them in the UK appraisals of parents. And you had some thoughts about what you can do to manage performance reviews or appraisals during COVID when you're not there face to face. But I'm sure you'll have lots of ideas as well about how to manage them as a parent more generally when you haven't been in the office for a while. Right, right. So performance reviews and COVID, I think, are just such a tough and hot topic right now. I think the statistics are pretty dark. I know in the US, almost a million women dropped out of the workforce just last month. And 40% of working moms in this country have either dropped out or reduced their work hours since COVID began. 40%, like that's, you know, verging on half of us. And so the reality is that women are really being forced out of the workforce, not, you know, that they can't hack it or something. And so I think when we're approaching the topic of performance reviews, one thing I think that companies really should do is to have manager training to make sure that managers are aware of and sensitive around the issues that like this year is a crisis. It is totally different. Please don't you know use the same standards you usually did. But if you're the parent who is facing that review right now, I think one thing that is always important in critical conversations is to start off with shared commitments. And I think that's something you can do in your performance appraisal right now is to start off saying, I'm committed to this company, I'm committed to this role, and I really deeply believe in its mission. And, you know, sort of centering yourself around the idea that this is work you want to do. It's why you signed up for it in the first place, and you intend to continue to do it even after this quagmire is over, to sort of reassure your manager that regardless of what's happening right now, you are deeply committed. And then I think it's really important to after stating that commitment, also be real about the current situation and talk about how perhaps your goal for the next three months or six months in your role is to manage life and work in a healthy way. And maybe that's the goal. Maybe the goal isn't complete these 12 projects. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, maybe the goal is to make it through and set an example for your team of a way that is sustainable for you to work mm -hmm. during a time when working is really, really challenging. Yeah, I think that's absolutely critical. And being very open about what you want is so important. When I train land managers, I'm quite often surprised at how little they know what the fellows or the parents who are literally waiting in the room next door have told me what they're really thinking about. So being open about that is critical. And then also being vocal about your commitment to the organization and how you love the job. In the UK, there was a survey done by the Fawcett Society, which is a 
feminist charity and campaign organization. And they found that four in 10 people think that mums are less committed to work than other women. And so being vocal, I couldn't agree with you more, is so important to counteract some of that. But just let me jump in and say, like, I am a huge believer that parents, moms in particular, bring amazing leadership skills to the job that we gained by becoming parents. And so I think we need to be really vocal about what those skills are and how we apply them too. I mean, we prioritize like nobody's business. We're able to meet the needs of demanding clients who can't express their needs very well. I mean, these are things we learn on the parenting job that are all translatable. Uh, The other thing I'd say is that sort of at the request of the employers who offer mindful return, I've been asked to develop a course specifically for managers to help them understand and help their employees navigate their direct reports, navigate that transition back to work after parental leave. And so, you know, one of the things Mindful Return will be doing is some of that sensitivity training for managers and really highlighting for them the implicit biases that are often present around working parenthood and the fact that there is a documented motherhood penalty in the workplace. You know, there's been research that proves that women are offered jobs less frequently when it's found that they're a parent, a mother, their pay is lower when it's found out that they're a mother. And in contrast, there is a fatherhood bonus where we just assume that the dad needs the money to help support the family, so we're going to pay him more. And so I think being aware of these implicit biases is the first step to doing anything about them. Mm, Absolutely. That sounds great. I want to ask you something else as well. You are pretty, well, you're very senior. Partner is a very senior job in for those who don't know the legal world. And I've been thinking recently that we need to do more to support people to make that step to the very senior or exec level roles. You know, quite often, and this is exactly what you said there with the research, what you see is that people progress reasonably well to kind of middle senior manager level, but then not enough people make the jump to partner. Now, obviously, there's a massive structural issue, like you just said, you know, more support for parents and so on. But what, I don't think we're open and honest enough about what makes the difference. Like, why do some people get picked to be partner or exec director or CEOs? Is there a simple answer to that? No, I don't think there's a simple answer to why somebody gets picked or not. I think just a couple of reflections. I'd first of all note you said structural issues. In a law firm setting, in order to make partner, there's often this expectation that in the two or three years leading up to partnership, you are spending 1,050% of your time only working on things related to the partnership track. And, you know, that also happens to coincide often with the same years that women are thinking about having a baby. And so the fact that we've built a system that rewards massive overwork right at a time when a woman is having a baby is, you know, I think a deep flaw of the legal system in general. How do we remedy that? We create flexible alternative options for recognizing that a woman's quality of work can be just as good as a man's quality of work, even without the bazillion hours. So for example, the law firm where I work, I joined as a partner on a 60% schedule. And that was something that you know my practice group supported. And they believed that I could be a quality contributor to the group, even while not doing it around the clock. Now, that wasn't completely consistent across the firm. And I did you know, speak with another woman who's another practice group who said that she was trying to make partner 
And in the years leading up to partnership, the firm required her, or rather her practice group required her to come off of a part-time schedule and go on to a full-time schedule. And so I think we really need to think hard about like, what are the reasons why we're asking people to bend themselves into contortions to really get elevated to that level? If I may just do one brag on mindful return, you know, one of the reasons that I created this program was to stop the leaky women's leadership pipeline. You know, the leaks that happen in that rise to leadership whenever we have kids because people step out. In the United States, 66% of women return to work after having a baby and the others don't. And of the thousand parents who have been through mindful return, the Mindful Return program over the past five years, 85% are still with the same employer and 93% are still in the workforce. And so I think saying to your new parent employee, I believe in you, I want you to come back, I know that you're going to be amazing at your job, I think that goes such a long way in encouraging folks to stick around and not opt out whenever they feel like they can't do it anymore because the system isn't set up to support them. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And having a peer group who goes through the same thing because at the moment the system isn't set up and it's not just in law it's in here in the uk it's in the nhs it's in charities it's everywhere and especially also in female dominated professions surprisingly so being together with people who are equally passionate about breaking the current system well not breaking it but really changing it and being the first ones in their environment to continue to progress even though they're held back because of the environment i think is so important and i know that's why you're doing the community element and also why we do with our fellowship program we bring together parents who want the same things i will say yeah it's very powerful okay very interesting it's so fascinating to talk to you laurie so I am just looking at all my questions and I think I've come to the, <laughs> I've almost come to the end of that, but I'm really interested. Is there something else that you have learned over the course of the last few years about helping working parents thrive that we haven't mentioned yet? Mm. Yeah, I think helping working parents thrive is about believing in them for the long haul. That the transition back to work after parental leave is not an event, but rather a whole period of time. It's a moment. And although it may be rocky for those first couple of months that you return to the office, or even maybe the first year, I try to encourage people to think about their transition back to work after parental leave as a year-long process rather than one event. Knowing that that person, if they are believed in by the organization will stick around and will really benefit the organization in the long haul is I think the way to go. So we have to take a longer view than just, oh my gosh, this person's coming back and you know they're not sleeping and they're never going to perform again. Mm. So mm. I think it's all about believing in folks for the long haul. Mm. That's very true. Um, I always ask at the end of the podcast for practical tips. So could I ask if someone is listening to this and they want they're just about to return to work or enter another major life transition like let's say moving house or having their children start primary school like i did recently what are the top three practical things that someone who is listening to this could do to help them with that transition yeah i think adopting a helpful mantra that you use every day can be helpful the one that i have come to and use the most frequently over my entire time as a working parent is Teddy Roosevelt's quote, comparison is the thief of joy. And so 
repeating that on a daily basis, I think is super helpful. Second is really engaging your village. If that's your partner, if you live with a husband or a wife, you know, making sure that you are having frequent and honest conversations about who is doing what in the household. My husband and I have a, we have a Saturday meeting. We have a Saturday basket where we toss all the stuff that needs to happen. And then the Saturday meeting, we sit down, have a hot day on the couch every Saturday night. And we walk through an agenda around, you know, who's on point for what during the week and, you know, mapping out our schedules and dealing with our money issues. So communication with the people who make your household run. So the second thing. And then the third thing is that time for you alone matters. And if that means swapping out some alone time with your significant other, if that means hiring somebody to get help, like taking on, I mean, you judge for yourself how often is needed. But for me, I need something on a weekly basis that is only for me. So right now during COVID, my husband and I, we swap three hours on the weekend. So I take three hours on Saturday, he takes three hours on Sunday. And I either wander the neighborhood or read a book or take a nap or do something that is only for me. So I think that is absolutely critical, not only to surviving COVID-19, but to surviving parenthood and working parenthood for the rest of all time. Mm-hmm. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much. We've already mentioned where people can find out more about the Mindful Return program, but is there anywhere else that people should look if they want to get involved in what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So we are on all the normal social media channels. You can find Mindful Return on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can feel free to link in with me and note that you listen to this podcast and I'll accept your LinkedIn invitation. We also have a Mindful Return page on LinkedIn that you can follow. I co-host a podcast called Parents at Work that you can find on all the usual places that one finds podcasts. And on the website itself, if you go to mindfulreturn.com forward slash e dash course, you'll find all the information about the course for moms. And if you go mindfulreturn.com forward slash paternity leave course, you'll find all the information about the course for dads. You can also reach out to me at lori at mindfulreturn.com, L-O-R-I at mindfulreturn.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Really lovely to talk to you, Laurie. And I am definitely going to keep following you and your work and see how it's, it develops. I'm, I think you're doing great work and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much, Raina. It's been a, a fun conversation with you and I really am grateful to you for having me on. Thank you very much for listening today. If you're looking to join a network of like-minded, ambitious individuals who are parents across sectors, then head to leadersplus.org.uk forward slash fellowship applications close on the 15th of October and if this podcast has helped you in any way then thank you so much for sharing it um, and writing a review and subscribing you know every day where we get a new review we always share it amongst each other in the team and we get so so happy big big thank you to you all who share review and it's wonderful to see that you've all given it a five-star review so far. So yeah, that made me very happy. Likewise, if you have any suggestions about people who are pushing the boat out, who are doing things bravely, differently, that you think I should interview, I would love to hear your suggestions. And you can email me on verena at leadersplus.org.uk or obviously via all the social media at leaders underscore plus on Twitter and Instagram and so on. Until next time, have a wonderful week.